0: Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Eleanor Doolin, and my focus here at CM Life Science is the in vitro diagnostics market. This is the first in a new CM Life Science series discussing trends and insights into the diagnostics market with industry leaders from across the globe. Today, I talk with Dalphine Galowski, Director of Market Development in Europe for Adaptive Biotechnologies, about European market expansion strategies within the diagnostics space. Whether you're in diagnostics industry, are intrigued by market access strategies, or are wondering how different organisations and regions differ within the market, then be sure to have a listen. In the following episodes, my colleagues will be discussing a range of key trends and insights into key topics within wider diagnostics market too. So please subscribe to the series to be notified when their episodes become available. Here it is. Hope you enjoy listening. To get started, then, um, if you want to kind of just shoot into who you are what we're doing and kind of um, your role within adaptive really yeah so i'm
1: uh, delicia so i have a commercial background i did a business school in france and then an MBA in press mm-hmm. uh, i have 10 year experience at astrazeneca uh, mostly in oncology where i worked in uh, mostly in development of new teams and new structure launch of new product and the management of marketing, cells, and uh, diagnostic teams. And I recently joined the Adaptive Biotechnologies, something just like four months ago. Yeah. Uh, Adaptive is an American biotech, which is based in Seattle. They are mostly work, uh, working on the immune medicine and uh, the key idea of the company that our immune system is uh, a big force that we have. Inside us, they are, the immune system is able to diagnostic uh, and uh, to diagnose disease, but also to treat most of the disease without even ourselves to realize it. So um, we are building the most of this immune system and uh, trying to uh, work on it and leveraging the immune system to better diagnose, but also treat patients.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned obviously adaptive, uh, a US-based organization. You obviously based in France yourself, kind of what have you been tasked to, to do then over the next 12, 18 months as your role based in Europe?
1: Yeah, so my role in, uh, is uh, to uh, develop the European uh, business. So I have, uh, we have uh, two main business metal adaptive, one is around MRD, so residual, di- residual disease, and we, my role is really to implement uh, routine testing for MRD in hematology, so first in multiple myeloma, but also in other disease, and working with hematologists, but also with uh, biologists in mm-hmm. order to develop new flow of patients and ensure that patients will be are going to have the opportunity to have their MRG uh, the result uh, as uh, I mean in the good timing. And then another objective is really to work on the more research-based asset yeah. that we have, immunosic. and in this setting, I'm managing the European team which we are just creating and uh, trying to propose our new service to a researcher in Europe.
0: Great. And why now for Adaptive? Obviously, they've got a strong market share in the US. Um, For a while, the the only FDA approved test for for that disease. Um, Why now expanding into Europe?
1: yeah I think it's a it's a very interesting time at adaptive. I think it's, we are around eight hundred people, but maybe four or five in the, or five or six in, in yeah. Europe so beginning of a new story, I think it's a it's a great opportunity for them because i mean x what they call XUS, so international is around mostly half of the business mm-hmm. so really the the objective is to go uh, and look at this opportunity. It's also an opportunity to get access to new data to uh, new physicians so It's a a great time in their expansion timing uh, to to go uh, outside of the U.S.
0: Great, And from a market access side of things, really, Delphine, what would you say the main differences are expanding in the U.S., where that's one country, and then in Europe, which is made up of, what is it, 44 countries? Kind of what are the main differences there?
1: Yeah, I would say that, uh, first of all, one of the difference is uh, the timing. Mm-hmm. In, uh, like in pharma, I think in diagnostic, FDA is really quick in their way. They approve and They look at drugs and diagnostic and they approve it. Uh, and uh, also the ability in the U.S. to have an integration of new diagnostic or even new drugs is uh, mm-hmm. in the guidelines can be very quick. And it's something which is very different in uh, in Europe. And uh, we have uh, the uh, new guidelines are much more long to get adopted. I I have the example of Germany, Mm -hmm. the ASP guidelines. It can take up to three or four months. In France, it's the same. The update of guidelines is not that often. So it's something which is very different in the timing perspective. Another point, which seems pretty obvious, is the centralization in the U.S., So normally you have it approved, and then of course you will have to go into to look for a private reimbursement. And but mostly once you have it approved, things are 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 going much more much more fast. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's it's different. We we you have to look at each country of its own system, its own process, and references. Yeah, Um, and that you know there are a lot of variability between countries. So. It's a clear barrier to entry for American uh, biotech and they need to have teams who know about the European markets uh, and their specificities or they have a consultant who can help them on that. So it's, uh, it's something which is a kind of complex for an American company to, to go into these uh, details of each country.
0: Because mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes, um, and not always, but some organizations who maybe don't have that European expertise see it and simplify. Uh, we want to go into Europe and it's just, it, it's seen as one country, but actually like you say there, the guidelines compared just in France and Germany, for example, or the UK to get involved are so different, the different pathways um, on offer there as well. Why do you think, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of US organisations want to go into those mature companies such as Germany, France and the UK. What? Why do you think that is?
1: I think clearly it's because of the market potential. We are, I mean, the EU five or uh, the place where you have uh, a clear market potential. You have also some clear systems and the social security, which are able to to reimburse some of our new drugs or our new diagnostics. So it's place where probably you can go the fastest when you want to go outside of the US.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in terms of your role now with Adaptive, you mentioned that only being there kind of four months or so, so I'm sure very busy, but what would you say some of the main pain points are and barriers when you're looking to get that Immunoseek or Clonoseek product into Germany or France?
1: Well, first of all, I think that the reimbursement pathway are not... uh, as clear as it can be in the U.S. For example, for Coolistic, we have some kind of reimbursement for innovation in France that we can use, but this area is currently uh, in uh, new thinking and probably Mm -hmm. it will will evolve in the coming months. So understanding the, the, the future direction and the access that we can have is not something which is easy. Mm-hmm. in uh in germany it's a little bit different because we are not currently in the guidelines and as we are, are not in the guideline, the ability to get front work is complicated mm-hmm. so um it, it's a main point i think the budget constraint that we can see in uh, europe is some is also something which is a clear pain point and uh, uh, our ability to reach the floor price that we can have and uh, uh, the pricing policies that can be uh, announced and uh, within a company, something that can be challenging in uh, when launching uh, XUS.
0: Mm-hmm. And for and it may be um hard to put an exact timeline on this, delphine, but from when you start to think, oh, I want to get my product in a country, how long is that time period and how long until that um product is commercially available, really? Well, from
1: my life in Germany, it can be three or four years, so it's yeah. uh, pretty long. Uh, and in, uh, I mean, in in the UK, with depending if you are within the nice organization and you have access to a nice recommendation, it can be also, uh, I mean, also pretty long. In France, we have been lucky to have this and uh, access to innovation, mm-hmm. and it can be a little quicker, but. I mean, be- between the time where you decide you are going abroad and you are able to have your first product on the market, I would say at least two or three years.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you mind just expanding on that kind of early access scheme and innovate pathway to innovation in France, what that entails?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think that there have been since uh, a few years a clear uh, willingness to the French from the French authorities to give access to uh, drugs, but also diagnostic, which are innovative in France. So in the uh, drugs, you have what was used to be called ATU and now, which is called early access. Right. And it enables, even though you are not going, you are, you do not have yet your pride, but to have access when the drug is really innovative and there is a clear and met need. And for a diagnostic, you have the same kind of ID with uh, an envelope, which is mm-hmm. a really uh, supposed to be for new testing uh, called AREHN. And this closed envelope uh, is supposed to be for, for tests which uh, are interesting but may not have already the, the the level of proof that you can imagine for as for a phase three uh, with phase three data or clear data. So it's a clear way to to give access to new innovative drugs, and uh, that uh, French lab can have the opportunity to test new drugs and give patient access, uh, early access to this uh, new uh, diagnostics.
0: Great, and I'm sure that's a, a great help. Is is France um, unique in having that sort of pathway? Do other countries offer anything similar? Or no, in my in my
1: view, it's one of the of the only place where you have such a oh, wow. a, a way, and it's. Uh, for drugs but also also for uh, testing it helps France to be one of the first country you can have access uh, to uh, innovative drugs. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay interesting and obviously when and you're kind of heading up this European expansion Delphine and um, when you go about choosing those countries to target is it best to have somebody in the region to connect with the KOLs and the kind of certain regulation regulatory bodies um or do you use kind of is one European individual able to do that or do you need that regional person on the ground
1: well, I think that it's really great to have a regional person in the ground because first of all, the, as, as we were just discussing, you have this knowledge about reimbursement market access pathways, which are very different from one country to the other. Mm-hmm. And there is also this KOL network, which is really key when you when launching a, a, a new diagnostic or a new drug. It's key uh, in the ability to have uh, a rapid awareness, but also adoption. Mm-hmm. And when working on the market access perspective, they are the one who are going to help you create your dossier, create the arguments, and also maybe sometimes to also defend the arguments with the authorities. So, yeah. this ability to create a network is something which is much more easy when you are based in your country and already have a connections.
0: And how long would you say um, it takes to build up, up that network? Obviously. You've got a great background working for large pharma organizations, Delphine. Is, is your KOL network come from your time with AstraZeneca, or is that something that you continually need to develop as well?
1: Well, I, I clearly think that it's something that you continue need to develop for different reasons. For my uh, experience, it's the first time I'm working in hematology. Mm-hmm. I, I used to work in solid tumor, and uh, mm-hmm. of course the network is not the same. But when you have a, a valuable... Uh, I mean, product and as it is the case with our uh, MRD product, I think there we have the ability to have interest from KOL. A lot of them and early adopters we want to know more about the, the new diagnostic coming, the, the new innovation. So it's uh, you will be able to create the network uh, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And also, I think when you develop a, a network, it's also in, really important to focus on rising stars, mm-hmm. the ones who are going to be tomorrow leaders and will be able to support your. Your innovation in the future. So it's it's a it's a, I mean it's a work of day to day work to develop. Yeah,
0: yeah. And how much impact, positively or negatively, does it when a? And we're talking about a US organization here um, expanding into Europe. The fact that those clinical trials are done in the US is that? Are they? Do the results of those replicate to kind of the patients in Europe, or does that ever prove? an issue when they're just done in the U.S.
1: Yeah, well, it can be a, there can be a different issue with the design of clinical trial. One of them can be that the, uh, the um, the standard of care can be different from the U.S. than it is the case in, uh, in Europe. It can be the case in hematology that products which are well-adopted or standard of care in the U.S. are not already or will not be in Europe.
0: Yeah.
1: So when you present your, uh, your clinical trial to authorities, you, you don't present a control arm, which is a, the standard of care. It's, and it can be a, a big uh, issue. Mm-hmm. The second issue can be the, I mean, the, the population you are representing. You need to have a, a population, I mean, between the US and between Europe, often it's uh, something which is similar, but when you have, for example, clinical trial in a in Asia, it's not always replicable with the population you have in Europe, and the, the result cannot be the same uh, depending on the patient population. So it's something which can also be pretty challenging when having clinical trials, which where the population is not the same uh, from uh, what well, the country you want to register.
0: Yeah, it's more, I see it more, talked about more and more that kind of diversity in clinical yeah. trials to ensure that they can be they can be applied to all patient um, data sets really, but obviously it's it's a difficult thing to achieve, uh, particularly when a, a huge amount of them are, are based on kind of a Caucasian Western patient data set um, there. But for you now then, kind of what do yourself and the whole adaptive business want to achieve through its European market expansion, kind of with that minimal residual disease product? what What's the end goal really? Well, the angle for sure is to position
1: ourselves as the leader in MRD in the future in hematology in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in the US, we are present in uh, 31 out of the 31 in the uh, hospital. So it's a wow. clear achievement. Yeah. And uh, first of all, what we want to achieve first step in, in Europe to create a, a a population of early adopters, which will test the product for a few of the patients and then after the ability to create guidelines and to really position ourselves as a, as a, the reference in the MRD testing. Mm-hmm. There is, a, 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 just to be to explain what is MRD, MRD is the ability to uh, uh, see, I mean, our technique is the ability to see around 1,000 and 1,000,000 of cells, the cell which is going to, which is a cancer cell, yeah. and which will impact uh, the, the patient uh, progression. And uh, this is clear, I mean, MRD clearly has an impact on um, prognosis of the patient, but it will probably have an impact on uh, uh, the way we treat patient Mm -hmm. and what we want to do in Europe is really to position MRD as a a test, which will impact the way physicians are going to treat patients in the future.
0: obviously that's a great goal and will have a great impact on patient diagnosis, but also like you say, the treatment there, that end goal of when you're saying to build a network of early adopters of this, is that quantifiable? Do you have a certain set number in certain territories or is it um, more just an overall goal or, or do you have, is it easy to quantify if that makes sense?
1: I think it's pretty difficult to quantify. And It's a pretty qualitative work, as I yeah. said, because I mean you can be in contact. I mean you can quantify the number of you've being in contact with the number of interaction you, you have had, but uh, I think what is really important is the quality of the interaction and your ability to develop projects with these Kellers to have them speak at your symposium at or at events. So I would say it's a pretty qualitative uh, uh, way of working and pretty hard to have metrics
0: really on that. Yeah I know I would agree and with the kind of building that KOL network is that something that's done as a team or individual obviously each individual comes with their own network when you join an organization Um, but would you be able to just briefly talk me through how you connect with somebody a key opinion leader and how you get them on your side what is kind of the routine to do that?
1: Yeah, so I think there are there are two questions in what you are saying. First of all, I really think that what makes a, an interaction with the KOL impactfully is if you have this ability to share within the company the inside, but also where you are, the project you're working on, is something that which is often a, a key challenge between medical and commercial teams, but also between local and global teams. So how you do exchanges. Inside, do you use some uh, platform, Viva, Salesforce, or is it more qualitative in the way that you share information? Mm-hmm. So I think it's something which is uh, really important.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then after, how, how do you connect with them? I think uh, it's, uh, in my view, the idea in first interaction is we to understand their area of interest, the key project yeah. that we are going to work together. And then after to identify the, the area where, you you are going to work with, I mean, with them.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, it's difficult to ever have a conversation at the moment without mentioning the pandemic and COVID. Mm-hmm. Has, has COVID affected that networking aspect and how have you in this role, but previously as well, dealt with travel restrictions and not allowed to kind of meet with physicians? Has that had a negative impact or ha- how have you got around that?
1: Well, I think... Uh, First of all, I think the, the situation is pretty different from one country to another, currently. Yes. In France, uh, in my vision, we can have access to, to uh, a in person and uh, mm-hmm. they are mostly open to this. I can see that in Germany, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Another example is that in Switzerland, my vision is that very often, I mean, they have stayed mostly open all the time to uh, uh, this kind of interaction. So it's different from one country to, uh, to the other. What has been difficult is when you don't, you have to create your network and you don't have the ability to meet the person. Mm -hmm. It's much more difficult to develop a real connection. Also a way to create great connection is to go in Congress with with, with KOL because you you see them often, you see them in place where they are, they have less pressure from patients. So it's easier to get a connection with them. Mm -hmm and it has not been possible. Mm-hmm. In the other end, I think that a lot of physicians were not used to using Teams on Zoom <laughs> and all this kind of uh, uh, application, and now they are much more used to this. So once you have created a first connection, you can also have some interaction which are remote, which make also the you work uh, more, yeah. much more uh, easy that you don't have to travel uh, all the time. Right. So I think it's probably a balance.
0: Yeah, now everybody's got the hang of Zoom and Teams. It, yeah, it is easier. But I hey, kind of that March twenty twenty was was difficult when nobody really knew how to interact um, over camera. So I I understand that. And obviously, um, your career and kind of past experiences, Delphine speaks for itself. I mentioned earlier working for those large kind of pharma organisations. What do you think your transferable skills over your career? Are to be able to do this to do a market access role and to help you develop a strategy. Really,
1: well, I think working in market access is really working on the it's a scenario based work where you uh, first of all think about the different opportunities, what can happen, how you can react in order to ensure that you are going to react fast when something happened, when the authorities are giving a direction to your uh, market access pathway. So I think this work on working on scenarios and trying to think about the next step is something that uh, is still something that you can uh, uh, transfer from working in big pharma. Mm-hmm. I think also market access is a work where you have to work externally, but also a lot of work internally on how you convince uh, your organization to go in your direction mm-hmm. and the work with global teams uh, and something also which I think you can learn in big pharma because it's uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the power of uh, global team that is often uh, big. So something that I, I've learned working in big pharma before. And also all what we've said before on how you develop KOL uh, engagement, how you work with scientific societies, uh, in order to ensure that they are going to support you and advise you in the way to uh, to you, to tackle your issue is something that you can also uh, uh, build from past experiments in pharma, for example.
0: Interesting. And you mentioned there obviously, the internal stakeholders being just as important as those inter- external stakeholders in terms of KOLs as well. How do you develop particularly going into a new organization, those internal relationships to make sure that um, US-based employees see the importance of reacting quickly, like you say, to scenarios across Europe?
1: I think what is really key is to educate your uh, the people you're working with. And yeah. uh, as I see it in Adaptive, as it's the first step that we are going abroad, I think it's important to spend a lot of time the, uh, in advance in order to explain the specificities of the German uh, market access strategy, the French one, the Australian one, and so on. So it's something Mm -hmm. which the education is really key so that they can understand that the way they are thinking in a a U.S. setting will be different from how French authorities or German authorities are going to think about your case and your uh, background. Mm -hmm. I can give you an example. Clearly, I think in the U.S., the patient association are really key and they have a, a big power uh with patients in the way that patients are pushing physician to move right. but also with authorities mm-hmm. and it can be very different in European countries in france patient association begin to have this kind of influence mm-hmm. and on the market perspective recently they have done a, a big uh, steps in breast cancer but also in carcine hematology in order to ask for reimbursement for or access for new drugs. Right. But it's something which is different and you cannot use the same uh, experience you have in the US and mm-hmm. apply it in, in other countries.
0: Yeah, it's kind of realizing that just because that strategy works in one country, it you can't pick that up and apply that to the 44 countries across Europe as well. I, I see that um, a lot globally as well when um, country organizations out of APAC trying to apply their same strategy to the US or Europe. It, um, it really gives you a lot of work to do, Delphine, when you have <laughs> to have a, a strategy um, for each country as well. What, uh, um, you mentioned, we started the conversation, you mentioned those kind of the big five in Western Europe in terms of um, where targets want to, where companies want to target. Where where else do you see expanding kind of over the next three, four, five years with for Adaptive?
1: Yeah, so what we are currently beginning to think of is expanding in Australia. Yeah, we are trying. We are currently also trying to launch in Japan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so these are also the next step that we are currently. To India, so India, Japan, and Australia mm-hmm. are the place where we are trying to expand.
0: Exciting. I mean, I'm imagining <laughs> you're really busy, Selvin, um, <laughs> on that. Is there anything? What is it that? you enjoy about that market access, market development position. Um, I know you and I have spoken about kind of how much you're enjoying this role and you have done previously. What what is it about that 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 is an enjoyable kind of job really?
1: Well, I think the difference of of culture uh, that you have to deal with on a daily basis is really nice. Being in contact with the US and the way that they are Seeing, uh, the evolution of uh, your strategy and the way we see it locally, something which is super interesting, being in contact with uh, teams which are based in different countries and speaking with different uh, KELOL in Japan, it can be uh, in the UK, in Germany, something which is also very nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm very lucky because the, as I was saying before, the, the product is nice so that you see that, I mean, you can see some nice steps very quickly and that you can advance in uh and KOL are pretty receptive to your message. So this is really uh, uh, very encouraging and can we can on a I would say weekly basis think about the, the nice steps you've done in your strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, I'm sure you never have a boring day or any of the days <laughs> um exactly the same. I think that um answers all the questions I had, Delphine, in terms of of just getting a bit more of an insight i don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add or any points that you'd want to discuss
1: no n- nothing in particular just like uh saying that being part of such an adventure when you are yeah. uh, launching a, a, a new uh i mean your company XUS it's a great adventure i think you have the most interest of being part of a company which is not a small startup so where you have some uh, Possibility to develop projects, you have some budget to develop nice things. And at the same time, you have the entrepreneurial mindset about discovering a, a new business, discovering new markets. So it's uh, pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, it's the best of both, really, isn't it? Obviously, having that, um, the resources, network, um, kind of... Um, reputation of a, a mid-sized organization if not a large organization in the US but given the autonomy to build up an own business and in a sense that startup environment in Europe it, it seems like the great middle ground yeah good great well um yeah I really appreciate that Delphine um obviously thank you so much for your time thank you it was nice of speaking with you <laughs> thank you for the opportunity perfect we'll have a great afternoon and we'll speak soon So that was my CM conversation with Delphine, Director of Market Development in Europe for Adaptive Biotech. I'd like to thank Delphine again for her time and insights she provided on this fascinating topic. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the topics we discussed during the podcast could gain some valuable perspectives from her role in the industry. If you'd like to hear more from the industry leaders about key trends and topics within the diagnostics industry, then don't forget to subscribe to be notified when the next episodes are live. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Ellen LaDoolin. Bye for now.